Good morning, friends. Uh, it's great to see you. Let me add my welcome to CAMS. My name is Matt, and I serve as the pastor here. Over the last several weeks, we've been looking at the life of Daniel and have been trying to glean insights from his life about what it looks like to follow the biblical God in the city. Uh, and uh, the passage that we've come to today, we could say, is probably one of the most well-known stories in the Old Testament, perhaps in the entire Bible. If you're here this morning and you wouldn't consider yourself to be a Christian or a follower of Jesus, odds are you may have heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Uh, And with these familiar stories, I think there's a temptation for us at the outset uh, to check out because we've heard the story, we've got the lesson, we got the t-shirt, so we can just move on. But my encouragement for us this morning is that you would lean in and perhaps take on this this story with, with fresh eyes as if you were hearing it for the very first time. Because as I was reflecting on this passage this past week, uh, here's, here's what struck me, is that by this point in the book of Daniel, uh, we started in Daniel chapter 1 with Daniel being a teenager, and in this passage here in Daniel 6, he is arguably in his 70s and 80s. And although he is at the tail end of his, of his years on earth, his greatest trial, his greatest challenge to his life and faith was still in front of him. And I think that's both instructive and somewhat worrying for us, that our, our greatest battles uh, might not be behind us, but ahead of us. And in order, in order for us to be ready for those greater battles when they arrive, it's important for us to know how we should live now, because how we live now will help us or hurt us in, in the challenges in the future. And so let's read this passage together uh, and then ask, with God, uh, ask God to give us uh, what we need to, to hear these words and apply it. So as you're able, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Daniel 6, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials of whom Daniel was one, to whom these satraps should give account, so that the king might suffer no loss. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other high officials and satraps, because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. Then the high officials and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault, because he was faithful, and no error or fault was found in him. Then these men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel, unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. Then these high officials and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors, are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition to any god or man for thirty days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Darius signed the document and injunction. When Daniel saw that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then the king commanded and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords, that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him, and sleep fled from him. 
Then, at break of day, the king arose and went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before him. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word this morning, would your Holy Spirit come and be our teacher, that we may, may better comprehend your grace and its implications for our lives. Lord, help us to, to hear these words afresh from you this morning, and change us, we pray, for Christ's sake. Amen. So Daniel 6 opens with a transfer of power. When Daniel was a teenager, like I mentioned, he was whisked away from Jerusalem with thousands of others uh, of those uh, in the city to be assimilated and brought into the Babylonian Empire. And last week we read about the collapse of the Babylonian kingdom with Belshazzar and the writing on the wall. And now instead of the Babylonian kingdom in place, you have this new empire uh, led by the Medes and the Persians by this guy named King Darius, also known as Cyrus, which has his mentions throughout the Old Testament. And Cyrus is uh, setting up his administration, and something unique is taking place here. In the ancient world, when a new power uh, comes, into, uh, comes into play, uh, it's common practice for the new regime to completely wipe out everybody in the old regime, not just the king and the royal family, but all the counselors, the advisors, the generals, any notable figure in that society, because it prevents the, the conquered kingdom from finding somebody to rally around and, and enact a rebellion. And so it's in, interesting in this reshuffling of power is that Daniel survives the transition. And not only does he weather through this transition of power, it's unique that Daniel's also put in the position that he's in. Daniel continues to serve as an advisor to this new, to this new empire, to this new government. And so much so that he's not just in the, the top 120, he's in the top three. And there's even consideration about Daniel becoming the second in command, the prime minister of the Medo-Persian empire. And what's striking is that not only is Daniel give, uh, mentioned to have this excellent spirit that he's good at his job, that, there's, uh, that he has this track record of excellence. We, we also read that he has this spirit of integrity, that there's no compromise found in him. There's no skeletons in his closet that people would try to, to dig up and try to disqualify him from service. Verse 3 mentions Daniel having this excellent spirit. Verse 4 says Daniel was incorruptible. And it's this moral purity, it's this integrity that Daniel possesses that sparks the drama of this story that ultimately leads Daniel to and through the lion's den. And and it's this theme of integrity that I want us to put our finger on this morning. I want us to focus on the theme of integrity because if we're going to follow Jesus in the city, one of the things that's going to make the Christian community distinct, one of the things that's going to set us apart from the world around us is that we're going to be individuals in a community of integrity where our lives, our words, our actions are completely in alignment with one another. We're faithful to something that's higher than ourselves, that's outside of ourselves. And, and so what does that mean? What does that look like for us to be a people of integrity? 
Well, I want us to open this text through that lens. And so, first of all, I'm going to define our term. I'll I'll talk about a little bit what integrity is, biblically speaking. And then I'll show us some of the tests of integrity that Daniel 6 draws out. And then we'll ultimately see uh, what test, at the end of the day, validates or authenticates the integrity that we possess. So, our roadmap again this morning. Integrity defined, integrity tested, and then thirdly, integrity authenticated. So first, let's, let's define integrity. Are there any, any English majors in the room, any like education background folks? Um, my wife's not here this morning, but she would raise her hand. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of etymology. So etymology, the study of words. Integrity uh, comes from uh, the Latin root integre, which, is, which means whole. Right? It's the same word that we get the word integer. Any math majors? Any math, math guys in the room? So what, what's an integer? An integer is a whole number, right? It's, it's, a, it's a whole number, no fractions, no division inside of it. And that's what integrity is. It's to have this wholeness, this sense of single-mindedness, this uh, completely uh, consistent, honest um, consistency in every situation and context. Integrity is possessing a genuineness and a dependability that your words and your beliefs and actions line up, that there's no... Uh, that there's no gap in between what you say and what you believe or what you say you're going to do and what you actually do. And so uh, integrity involves having this follow-through, having this moral excellence, but even more than just having uh, this sense of moral uprightness. Integrity uh, involves having a code, having a standard that you live by that transcends your situation and your circumstances that you will adhere to no matter what comes your way. And this is precisely what Daniel possessed As we just mentioned, Daniel had impeccable character. He he was excellent at his job. There was no corruption that could be used to bring him down. But more than that, verse 5 tells us that Daniel had this standard, that those who are watching and and plotting about how to bring Daniel down says that the only way we're going to bring this guy down is is if we create a conflict between the, the code of the Medes and Persians and the code of Daniel and his God. And so... Part of having integrity is having uh, moral consistency, is having a code to adhere to. But even biblically speaking, one, one way that the Bible, particularly the New Testament, talks about integrity is to have, uh, is that integrity is formed by the ongoing habits of our heart. So integrity is not like a personality trait, like being an introvert or an extrovert. Integrity is a skill that you cultivate over time. It's something that you can, uh, that anybody can, can have and anybody can form, anybody can build up. In their lives. Um, so uh, it's worth noting in verse 10, if you, if you have that passage open still, that when Daniel heard about the law forbidding anyone to pray to, to anyone except King Darius, we read that Daniel uh, still went to his home and he prayed, but then there's that phrase, as he had done previously. Da- Daniel went and prayed as he had done previously. In other words, Daniel isn't praying as a way to openly defy the government or assert his rights or, or say this is my truth and not, and not your truth. He's not causing, he's not trying to cause a stir. He's doing what he's always done. 70 years of moral formation, of, of prayer, of commitment, of opening his windows towards Jerusalem, the, the city where his God dwelled, and having his heart and his motivations and his behavior shaped by that ongoing habit of the soul. See, Daniel has this integrity that's built up over time, and, and he has this moral formation that's happened, and he has this code that he abides by. Um, maybe you've seen the HBO show The Wire. I, I'm dating myself by how old that show is, uh, but there's a character in there who is uh, probably one of the more admirable, admirable characters, but he's also one of the most 
uh, perplexing. It's a guy named Omar. And Omar has this line where he says, a man's got to have a code. Uh, a man has to have a code. We all have to have a way of, of comporting ourselves, of, of, war- of working our way through the world because uh, it, it's, it's our code that ultimately determines our outcomes or, or the, the kind of people that we become. And so this isn't the, the main thrust of, of the sermon, but there was a challenge that I think was presented to me in this text as we were looking through it, uh, that if our integrity is formed by the ongoing habits of our heart, but if, if our integrity is developed through a muscle memory of the soul, you could say, then the question for us is, what are you paying attention to? What are the, the forces or the narratives or the stories that you're allowing to shape your heart, to shape your, your mind, your, your uh, ambitions, your emotions, uh, the way that you behave yourself in the world? What are, what are the things that you're, you're being uh, discipled by? Or, or what are the ways that you're being formed uh, by in the world? And what I want to contend is that, uh, that if we're not conscious of the ways that we're being shaped by our world or by our culture, that if we're not being intentional ourselves about, uh, about bringing ourselves in front of uh, the things that would form us into the, into the people that God would have us be, we are going to be formed by something else. And uh, we're going to become this, uh, what, what the New Testament letter of James calls a, an unstable person, somebody who's double-minded in all their ways. That if having integrity is being single-minded, uh, not having integrity means that you're a double-minded person. You, you, you're this way with one group of people. You're another way with another. You, you're one person in one situation, and you're completely different in another situation. That you're constantly tossed by the waves of the sea, and you're, and you're a person who is weightless and without substance. And so do you pay attention to the things that you pay attention to? Are you cognizant? Are you, are you conscious of the, of the things that are in our world, that are on your news feeds, that are on your phone, that are shaping you into the kind of person uh, that, that you want to be, or, that, or, or are you becoming somebody that you never intended to become? And so uh, I, would, I would encourage you to, to look at those narratives, because if you're, if you're not conscious of it, you're being shaped by the culture, and the narratives of our culture are entirely inconsistent with one another. Um, there's a lot of ways where this is true, but consider a couple of these. So at the same time, our culture tells you to be selfless, to look out for other people, to speak up for those who, who have no voice. And at the same time, your culture tells you to be entirely selfish, to, to you do you, to, to you assert your identity, to, for you to, to, to take what's yours, to look out for number one. So which one is it? Do I look out for others or do I, do I look out for myself? And if you're not conscious of, uh, if you don't have a code that, that helps you decipher between these two things, you're, you're going to be an inconsistent person. Or, for instance, uh, our culture also says uh, you should be whoever you want to be. You should create yourself, forge your own identity, and, and present that thing to the world. Don't, don't play by the rules. Be, be yourself. And at the same time, uh, the market says uh, play by the rules. Compete. Uh, if you want to advance in the world, you, you, have to, you have to do what everybody else is doing. You have to be productive. And so which one is true? Do, do, I, do I break all the rules to be myself, or do I play by the rules and, and achieve some of the rewards that, that's, that's held out there for people who play by the rules. See, the stories of our culture are completely at odds with each other, and if you don't have a code to live by that, that exists outside of culture, that exists outside the narratives of our world, you're going to become a double-minded person, unstable in all your ways, as the letter of James says it. So if that's integrity defined, uh, what are the ways that we know we have integrity? How is our integrity tested? Well, James 1 is helpful again. Um, James 1.8 talks about being that double-minded person who's unstable in all their ways. Uh, a little bit earlier in James chapter 1, 
James says that it's through trials, it's through testing that our integrity comes to the surface, that, that what's inside uh, becomes manifest on the outside and, and shows us the kind of person that we really are. And uh, integrity inveal, reveals our character and it reveals the, our code. And then what are, whether the code that we live by is worthy enough or, or durable enough uh, for us to base our lives on. And so Daniel's uh, integrity, Daniel's code is tested in this passage. And there's a lot of different ways that I could point to, but here's at least three ways that Daniel's integrity is tested in this passage, as well as the integrity and the code of everybody else in the story. We see how Daniel's character and integrity match up against everyone else's. So the, the first test we could say in this, that, there's, that there is in the story is the test of power. Power is one of the tests on our integrity. Uh, your relationship to power reveals your code and what you're living for. In verse 2, Daniel and the other prefects and satraps are chosen because they, they were supposed to be people who were to look after the king's affairs so that the king might not suffer loss. And in fact, this is one of the, the visions of what, what true government, healthy government, ought to do. People who are in their position to wield their power in the service of others so that not only the governor or the king might not suffer loss, but that the citizens might flourish and not suffer loss either. And we see Daniel uh, using his power in that way, but we see the others using their power differently. Rather than viewing their, minist- viewing their position as a service for the king and the public, uh, these jealous satraps and officials misuse their power. Instead of writing just legis- legislation, they write an unjust law to get an innocent man killed. And not, not just Daniel, but who knows however many people were affected by this unjust law. You see, the way that you have, the way that you use your power when it's available to you is a test of your integrity. Are you using it to serve those uh, around you, to, to lay your power down for the flourishing of others? Or are you using your power for some other end, to, to prop yourself up, to make yourself look good, to throw others uh, to the lions so that you could get ahead? See, how we, how we wield our power reveals the code and the kind of person that you are. So there's not only the test of power, but this story also shows us uh, what I could call the test of convenience. So there's the test of power, then there's the test of convenience. Uh, the jealous leaders uh, trap King Darius into making this unjust law. And think how easy it could have been for Daniel to save his own skin. I know there's a couple of folks in law school in our congregation. There's some lawyers in our church. And it's easy to look at the letter of this law and to know exactly how to, how to skirt around it and say you've done nothing wrong. And the, and the way, the technical solution for this, for this kind of unjust law, uh, it, that if the law says that for the next 30 days, you can't pray to anybody but Darius, well, the easy way to keep this law and for Daniel to maintain his position and not be compromised is simply to not pray, right? If I only have to do not pray for 30 days, then I can just not pray and I can point, prove those people wrong. I can still save my skin and keep my position. But what's interesting is that Daniel decided to pray anyway, just as he had before. Now, uh, why would Daniel do this? Why, why just take a month? Why, why, why go ahead and commit himself to the lions rather than just taking a month off of prayer? Um, you see, I think Daniel's, what we see here is that Daniel's code superseded uh, the code uh, of Darius. Uh, the, the, the code of following his God took precedence over the code of following any other code. And in Daniel's mind, it was a greater transgression. It was a greater sin to not pray. Uh, or it, was a, it was a greater sin not to pray than, than just to not pray. Uh, and so Daniel uh, decided that, that faithfulness, that obedience to his God, 
was, was more important than obeying any other earthly law. Uh, the, great, the words of the great theologian Albus Dumbledore pop around in my mind right now where he says, at one point, all of us have to choose between what is easy and what is right. And it's in those moments that our, our integrity is revealed, that the kind of character uh, we've developed in our life is exposed. And, and when those moments of exposure come, you find out whether you're the person who has done the right thing or the easy thing. And in our, in our culture, even living life in the city, we're, we're, con, we're confronted time and again with the, with the test of convenience uh, to take shortcuts in our work, uh, to, to choose to be hypocritical in our relationships rather than, um, rather than, than sticking to our, our code or, or maintaining our integrity. Um, and, and it's in those situations where uh, the mirror is held up to us and we're, we're exposed to the kind of person that we truly are. Uh, so that's the second test. The third test I want to draw our attention to is there, so there's the test of power, the test of convenience, and then the third test I, w- I would call the test of rest. The test of rest. In this story, uh, it's interesting that Daniel is at the same time both in the most stressful position, right? He's the one being thrown to the lions, but at the same time, he's the person in the individual in the story who's the most at peace. He's in the most stressful situation, but he's in the most at peace. Uh, the, the king is not sleeping a wink in the palace, but Daniel is in the lion's den, completely calm, completely at rest in his soul. That he is, uh, He's completely at rest while the king uh, is restless. While the king is restless. And consider this, um, that, that, if, that if, to be a person of integrity is, is actually a lot more uh, of, of the pathway to, to rest uh, than any other pathway. Consider that if you're dishonest or, or you're, maybe you're hypocritical in your relationships, you realize that when, you're, when you decide to be dishonest uh, in a relationship or, 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 one, or being one person in one group of people and, and another person in another group of people, you, you recognize that the moment that you do that, you've stepped on a treadmill that you can never get off of. Because uh, Mark Twain was fond of saying that, that for the, the person who tells the truth has nothing to remember so that, meaning that if you, if you are hypocritical or, or you are dishonest in your relationships, it means that you, you now have two selves to maintain. You have, you have the self that you're trying to hide and, and prevent others from seeing. Then you have the self that you're putting out into the world. You constantly have to prop up that, that one lie needs to be uh, used to support another lie and another lie and another lie. And, and, and that's an exhausting way to live. You never get off the treadmill of trying to prop up uh, the dishonest or the hypocritical self. Uh, the double-minded lifestyle. And so maybe this, maybe this is helpful or revealing for you that if you're restless this morning, that if you're losing sleep at night, if you're wondering uh, how you're continually coming off to people or, or, or if you're meticulously curating your sense of self or your image to other people, it might be a scent, it, this might be an indicator to you that, 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 you're, that you're lacking integrity or that you're a double-minded person uh, if, if you live in fear of being found out, that, that might be revealing of the, of the kind of person you're becoming and the kind of code that you're living your life by. So those are just some of the tests of integrity. Uh, but what does it look like to have our integrity authenticated or validated? Uh, what does it look like to have our code, the way that we're living our life, um, justified or, 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 or dissolved um, in the moment of testing? See, Daniel is, uh, Darius is, is put in this impossible position, and Daniel has to pay the price, right? And in order to save face with his officials, Darius commits Daniel to the lion's den. 
And you hear the cry from Darius in verse 16. He says, May your God, whom you serve continually, be able to deliver you from the lions. And what's miraculous in the story is that the God that Daniel serves does deliver him. Daniel is vindicated. His, his, authentic, his, his integrity is authenticated uh, through that great trial. And Daniel says as much in verse 20. He says, I have been preserved, O king, because I am upright and blameless in my character. To show you that I am the kind of person who I truly say, say I am, I, I was spared from the lion's mouth. You see, Daniel um, had, this, had this code that was durable enough to, to even weather death itself, that Daniel could look at death in the face and know that he was going to be okay, that, that he can come out the other side uh, because, uh, because his code was the faith in his God. And so, friends, that's the ultimate test. We talk about integrity being tested by power, by convenience, by rest. But does the code that you live by, is it able to overcome death? It, it, does it give you a, a sense of calm that you can look at the worst thing in life that can happen to you, which is your death, and say, I'll be okay. Uh, I'm going to make it out the other side. That I might not be delivered from the lion's mouth, but, but I know that ultimately my God will save, that my God will, will deliver. And the temptation for us at this point is to simply stop the story right there, to take the moral and run. In fact, if you grew up in the church, you've often uh, heard this story told that, uh, that Daniel is our example, that we should you know, be, dare to be a Daniel, that we should be brave, that we should, um, that we should show the same integrity that Daniel showed, and, and, that, and that if you do that, God will take care of you, right? God will, will stop the lions from, from happening, uh, from, from tearing you up in, in your life. Uh, and, and maybe it's that simplistic explanation of Daniel's story that's caused a, a whole lot of cynicism in the church. That's a whole, caused a whole lot of cynicism in the life of believers because we, we, we think that if we trust God that we're going to be exempt from the trials or the, or the, hard, or the hard things of life. Uh, and, and if that's the explanation that you've brought in with the story of Daniel, that if, you just, if you're just like Daniel, you'll be okay, that's uh, not the story of Christianity. Like, no wonder you're cynical. No wonder you feel burned out or let down because that's not what the Bible teaches. Because if you think Daniel is innocent, I know somebody who is far more innocent than Daniel. I know somebody who trusted God far better than Daniel did, and he was also thrown into a den of lions. He also had a stone rolled over the pit, and unlike Daniel, he was torn up by the lions. He, he, he experienced the, the, the death that was reserved for Daniel. And, and, if, and if we look at the story of Daniel and, and, we, and we just leave it at the moral of the story, then, then we have to conclude that that message is completely inconsistent with the life and the message of Jesus. Because the message of Jesus is not that I've come for good people, that if you're a good person, you're going to escape uh, the, the trials and, and the dangers of life. Jesus says that I've actually come to be a physician. And, and who goes to see physicians? Not healthy people. It's the sick. Jesus says that I am a doctor and I've come for those who know they're not well. I, I've come for those who know that they've messed up. And, and so if, if that's what Jesus came to do, then why is this story here at all? Uh, uh, I was really helped by one commentator who suggested that this story of Daniel in the lion's den is here for two reasons. Um, one, it's to help us look forward to the ultimate salvation that's coming our way, and it's here to help us look backward to the ultimate salvation that was accomplished for us. So this story is here to help us look forward at the salvation that's coming our way. Um, we might uh, think that Daniel being protected from the lion's den is miraculous in that it's, uh, it's a departure from the natural order of things. Uh, 
But this miraculous event is actually a, a restoration of the natural order. Uh, we live in a world that's not as it should be. That God created this world good, but it's broken and fractured by sin. And so brokenness and disease and violence and death uh, are in our world uninvited, and it's not the way it should be. And so when we see miracles happen in Scripture, they're more than just displays of raw power. They're not just party tricks. Like, look, look what I can do. That the, the miracles that we read about in Scripture are meant to point us to the gospel. They're meant to point us uh, to what Jesus, uh, to what God has determined to do to, to the world and to us in Christ. And so when we see the lions being stopped, that, that in the opportunity to, to eat a person, which is what we expect in our broken world, lions to do 100% of the time, we see a restoration of the natural order. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, we read this remarkable, this radical vision of the future, where we read that, that the wolf lies down with the lamb, that the lion lies down with the calf, that, that little children can put their arms in, into the adders or the, uh, the viper's nest and, and play with the snake as if it was just uh, any other toy. Uh, Isaiah is pointing us to this radical future where the world is made new, where, where everything is set to rights again. And in the ministry of Jesus, when a leper is cleansed or when a blind person receives their sight again, when a paralyzed person is, is picked up and he's able to walk again, when, when Lazarus is brought out of the tomb, these aren't party tricks or, or just deviations from the world as we know it. These are returns to the way the world ought to be. And so we see a story like this in Daniel chapter 6, and we know that history itself is on a trajectory towards a new creation, that we are headed towards a, a time when the lion will lie down with the lamb. Where, where we will walk around creatures where we're afraid of poisoning, of death, of, of being mauled and mutilated, and we will enjoy these good things that God had created. So stories like this point us forward to the world that's coming, a world where sickness and death and disease and lion's dens uh, are no more. Not a world of violence and chaos, but a world of perfect peace. So this story is here to, to point us forward to the salvation that's ahead of us, but in our time and place in history, this, this story is still here in God's word for us to look back and see on the salvation that's already been accomplished for us. Uh, it's already been accomplished. Just like the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that we looked at a couple weeks ago, we read that God sent his, his angel, his messenger, somebody who, who has the presence of God and in that time speaks for God and as God. We see God go with Daniel into the lion's den to, uh, into the lion's den to help deliver him from this danger. And Daniel is not able to give a name or a description of who this person is, but, but we have the benefit to see that it's Jesus. Jesus is the one in the lion's den with Daniel, that, that God doesn't deliver his people by removing them from trials, but by going into the trial with them to deliver them and, and to bring them through it. And on the cross, um, Jesus, one of the words on the cross that Jesus says is, is the words of Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that same psalm, in Psalm 22, we, we hear these words also. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, saying, he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord uh, rescue him. Roaring lions open their mouths wide against me. You lay me in the dust of death. See, in that psalm, the roaring lions uh, represent more than just suffering in general. Those roaring lions represent the wrath and the justice of God. And Jesus, on the cross, is quoting that psalm saying that I am going into the ultimate lion's den. I am going into the, into the mouths of, the, of all of God's uh, wrath and punishment against sin, and I'm going to be torn apart by the lions so that when you go into the lion's dens of your lives, you, you, can, you can emerge 
untouched and unharmed through them because I've gone into the ultimate lion's den for you. You see, Jesus, like Daniel, was thrown into the pit. He, he was the victim of an unjust law, uh, of the justice system worked against him, and, and he was thrown into the pit. A stone was rolled over his grave, but just like Daniel, he emerges on the other side alive. Jesus emerged victorious and having his perfect life, having his code, having his trust in his Father, perfectly authenticated and validated, so that uh, showing us once and for all that this is the kind of God that we can build our lives on. This is the kind of code that we can put our trust in because this is, this is the only kind of God that can deliver us from death. That, that we can handle our sickness, our losses, our loneliness, because we know that there's no sickness that Christ won't ultimately heal, no loss that won't be restored a hundredfold in the new creation, and we'll never be alone because Christ was thrown out by God so that we would never be thrown out ourselves. And C.S. Lewis, one place, um, says very happily that uh, you'll never be able to tame the lions in your life unless you let God be the untamed lion in your life. Um, Meaning that unless you fear God and unless you know what he has done, unless you're in awe about what Christ has done for you, uh, you're going to be afraid of a lot of other things in this world. Uh, But if you're in awe about what Jesus has done for you, then you'll walk into every other lion sitting in your life and say, this is a small thing because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. And when that kind of God, that kind of faith becomes the code that you live by, the, the thing that you adhere your life to, you can live with such confidence and humility, uh, and you can have a kind of integrity that, that's countercultural to the world around you. The way that this story ends is, is with Darius in awe of the God of Daniel. That, that if God is a, able to bring Daniel through this kind of, through this kind of trial, then, then he's the God who's worthy of our worship. He's the God that's worthy of our lives. And when people look at the integrity that we possess, as we seek to be a people in this city for urban Madison who live lives of integrity, who don't take shortcuts, who, uh, who, who commits to being single-minded in our words, our actions, our deeds. As we look to Jesus, the one who's gone into the ultimate lion's den for us so that we can walk into the lion's dens of our pain and suffering and the lion's dens uh, of those around us, uh, the, the places that are broken and flawed in our city, people will see our, our integrity. They'll see our good works, Jesus says, and glorify our Father in heaven. That's the way it should be. That's the way that we were designed to live. Darius couldn't help but praise Daniel's God. When others see our integrity, they can't help but do the same. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who has gone into the lion's den for us, the ultimate lion's den of of judgment, of wrath against sin, so that we would never be devoured by our own sin. Lord, that you became sin for us so that in Jesus we could become the righteousness of God. Forgive us, Lord, for the places in our lives where we've Uh, exchanged our integrity for something else, for the approval of people, for the the desire to be liked, uh, for advancement and whatever that might look like. And God, help us to become those single-minded people, grounded in the gospel, uh, indebted to grace in every moment of our lives, that we may live lives of integrity that speak a a word of of challenge and a word of, of hope and comfort to those around us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.